ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. I was at the crib, sitting by the fireplace, drinking cold coal on the bearskin rug. Doorbell rang, who could it be? Thought to myself, then started to shrug. Got to the door, ding dong, who is it? Lars Ulrich was paying me a visit. Sly as can be, ball cap and all. Looking kind of shifty, and man, he really ain't that tall. He played a weird fill that went against the groove, and I know that Hetfield wouldn't approve. I didn't realise that James was setting me up. He must have heard me on episode four. Well, I lost control when Lars missed the hat. I said, go see Napsy, you little Danish twat. James burst in, said, what are you listening to? I said, reload. Things that make you go, hmm. You are maybe there. the worst rapper in the history of white <laughs> men trying to rap. My goodness. Corey, I'm 50, English, and white. I can't rap, dude. It's not my forte. We've already established you're not English. That's a, that's a lie. I feel <laughs> so disrespected. Oh, Lars took offense to that one. <laughs> you little Danish well, twat. <laughs> Look, if Lars, is, if Lars ever listens to this podcast, it's all over. We're, we're definitely getting sued. So when you go and sue Napster, you little Danish twat. <laughs> I think he's got a sense of humor about it, though. I think if he heard our show, mm. he'd probably be like, yeah, you know what? I get it. <laughs> yeah. Like I One said, would hope. Uh, awful to, like, his bandmates. Uh, seems like a giant asshole, but, like, to, like, the fans and everybody, really kind of a cool dude. So there's really yeah, kind I of a, so. a yin and a yang to Lars Ulrich. I, I, I'm kind of a fan of Lars. I, I like him. You know, if we wanted someone to come on board and sort of join in, we could we'd probably get Dave Mustaine. <laughs> Famously. Although I guess not so much anymore. I think they've reconciled now those fucking Duclaw. Well, you saw it in the some kind of monster, right? He he opened right up to their therapist in the Lars. Like man, Wasn't he was happy. trying to focus my little Danish friend and he was sticking up for him and <laughs> I miss my little Danish friend. <laughs> I, I gotta say, okay. I've never been a huge fan of like Megadeth or Dave Mustaine or anything, so but as a fellow, like he seems like he's gone through some shit, and he's come through on the other side. So good for him. Yeah, he seems like a bit of a space case. Hey, eh? I mean, obviously, bit. I think years of hard living will do that to a yeah. person. But anyway, we're not talking about Megadeth. Corey. No. Oh, maybe this if it. you if you win this season, maybe you'll pick Megadeth. I don't know. I haven't heard a ton of Megadeth, so I don't know. I'll give him a listen. I got my I got five lined up for you. I've got a little, a little way we're going to play that by the end. Of, you're going to pick. Oh, you're going to pick some so. fucking Ponzi British bullshit like Madness or something. Do I have to listen to Our House by Madness like on repeat? It's a great song. Come on, man. What are you talking that about? That one's it's a okay. Song. It, it's okay, but I imagine the rest of their catalog probably not so much. Lots of good stuff in the Madness. I'm going to add something to my list. Don't oh, on fuck the list. off! <laughs> you're going to make me listen to the Kings, aren't you? Come dancing. They, they might be on the list. They might be on the list. It's They're gonna be at some point. We are listening to the Kings. I'm telling you that right now. They've written some great fucking tunes. They just haven't performed it very well. Right. Well, we're not talking about the Kings. We're not talking about Madness. We're not talking about any of those bands. Aww. We are talking about Metallica. Yeah. Again. So this season we are covering '90s era Metallica. We've done the Black Album. We've done Load. We've done Side A of Reload last week. So this week we're getting into Side B. Um, only three weeks time, Corey. We're gonna have a score out of hundred for each album combined between us, and then we'll be talking with our uh, our little American pal. We little, tiny, tiny uh, men. Sexiest tiny man in podcasting. Smaller than me. I know, right? And I didn't think that was possible. 
and, and you know he he's just above dwarf. I I, I found out. Uh, which, <laughs> you know, congratulations, Scott. I mean, first of all. I do not, for one, think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. And that was actually <laughs> Scott that was uh, on stage with Spinal Tap during that performance. Not a lot of people know that, that he turned his uh, Spinal Tap performing Stonehenge uh, on that ill-fated tour back in the early 80s. Well, that's how he got a residency being uh, in, in a dwarf tossing uh, league in uh, Las Vegas. I that's think that's true. why he moved there initially, that's wasn't it? That's very true, yep. Yeah. I think he still holds the uh, world record uh, for being tossed mm. uh, some 18 feet, which I tell you, I, I, I've never met Scott personally, but I bet you I couldn't throw more than four or five feet. Like 18 feet, that's insane. That's incredible, yeah. I mean, you need some long arms. You need, you need Hetfield yes. span, wingspan for that kind of throw. Yeah, right? like I, I'm going to the gym twice a week, and I, I couldn't throw that little fucker more than four or five feet, I got to tell you. <laughs> and you, you, you're a pudgy little uh, Saskatoonian, so <laughs> if you can get two feet, I'm sure you'd be happy. God, he's probably a bit of an eye throw. I mean, he's going to land on my feet. That's how far he's going to go. He's going to land on me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you're a strapping four foot eight. Like, for, for Scott to be shorter than you, that's that, that's something. I love that you're giving me the extra two inches when I wear my Cubans, Well, Corey. you know, I I podcast with you. I got to try to make you feel good about yourself. I know Randy likes to tear you down. I'm trying to build you up. Yeah, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. I love you, bud. Um, You know, talking about building up. It was a rough one for me last week, Corey. It was. I didn't love. Yes. I didn't love side A of uh, reload, and I was. I was lower than you. We, neither of us really thought it was a superb side of an album. Um, I'm hoping that we get something a little bit different this week. Well, it, side A had a great classic Metallica song, a pretty fucking good Metallica song, and then a couple of average Metallica songs for me. I, I know they yeah. they fell a little flatter for you, uh, but we're getting into the, kind of the dregs of, of reload right now. Like you're looking at the uh, the play count. Uh, from the three songs on side B, uh, zero plays, zero plays, and four plays by the band. Yeah. So even the band is like, you know what, side B, reload, let's just not even uh, touch that. Which is, we'll get into it, but I, I find that really strange. To never, I mean, one side, and this is something that Metallica doesn't usually do, right? They don't front load albums. Where all three singles, we didn't talk about that last week, all three singles from this album came off side one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then nothing from, you know, the Black Album was a single off at least three different sides, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, Load, I think, at least two, and I think maybe three. So to get this situation where they're saying, oh, let's get it all up top, maybe they weren't as confident in the rest of the material on this album. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to uh, uh, Hardwired. And all the signals came from the first two sides. And then right. that whole second half is all kind of deep cuts. Uh, I can't remember Spit Out the Bone, actually. I think that might have been a, a, a single back in the day. But, yeah, you're, you're talking about uh, uh, Metallica. Uh, all the singles came from uh, predominantly uh, side A and side B. Uh, nothing else uh, matters, I think, with side C. Uh, so so that would be the one from that one. Then it was all kind of deeper cuts. Uh, then when you look in the load, uh, you know, the singles, uh, again, uh, anything that came from the last two sides, not really. You got uh, Until It Sleeps, King Nothing, Bleeding Me, Poor mm-hmm. Twisted Me. Like, they, they were all kind of, it, it, Metallica is kind of actually a very front-loaded kind of kind of band. And and here we get in a reload, and we're talking about side B already, and we're talking about three tracks that they don't really play, and there there's maybe a reason for it. Well, the first track, side B, never played live, composed by James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, and Kirk Hammett. Is better than you. 
really kind of like this intro to the song. You know who else did too? Uh, it was the Grammy Awards. We talked about on the last show kind of Metallica's history with the Grammys. Uh, they lost out to a, a Page Plant song. Uh, but they actually won a Grammy for Best Metal Performance uh, for this song, Better Than You. Well, what performance? Like, be- Best Metal Performance, like the recording of it? Yes, the record. Yeah, it, it's oh, okay. Best Metal Sorry, Performance okay. on a record. It's not like a live performance. It's uh, Interesting. Yeah, Grammy voter or Grammy, whoever fucking decides on the Grammys, which uh, could be a fucking monkey at a typewriter. I don't know. Uh, but they, they, they pick this in 1999 as the uh, best uh, metal performance. Uh, pretty cool intro, though. I like it. I like, and I like those light harmonics. When the riff kicks in, it's a nice, heavy riff. Mm-hmm. It's a good intro. It's a good start to a song. Absolutely. What do you think of that chorus in the uh, demonic better than you uh, refrain? Well, you know, we've talked about this before, Corey, right? Where I don't usually like that metal trope. I'm not usually a big fan of that. I think it really works here. Um, I love that we go straight time in the verse and we cut back down again here. And it's a thing you talk about, um, joke about sometimes on your Van Halen podcast. If you can't write a chorus and you don't know what to say, just repeat the same line. Yeah. Because it sometimes works. And I mean... The, the message of this song about better than you, and we'll get into the lyrics a little bit, maybe um, a little bit later on, but I think it works. I think it's cool. And, and I don't know, he, he's singing about being, he's desiring to be the best. Is he trying to be the best person? He's trying to conquer demons, which has been a real theme uh, in James's yeah. lyrics. I look at you, then you, me, hungry and thirsty are we, holding lion's share, holding the key, holding me back because I'm striving to be better than you. He's like he's trying to be better than whatever's trying to hold him back. Uh, which is a real kind of you know theme in James' lyric writing that I I think really really kind of works here. I love that kind of better than you because it, it's almost like his whatever's trying to hold him back is 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 almost kind of answering yeah. him there, which I thought was kind of cool. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it that way at all. That's interesting because I was going to say like the the difference between the first and second verses is is super interesting because they're not the same. We don't get the same perspective. So I hadn't thought about that. So I'm gonna have to re- I'm gonna have to rethink the lyrics in this one a little bit. So well, and like you said, the, the lock horns I push and I strive. Somehow I feel more alive. Bury the need for it. Bury the seed. Bury me deep when there's no will to be. Like you know, you, you yeah. can see what he's kind of going with here. Well, it's to me, it's like the first one's very, you know, and and whether it is against the against himself or against someone else, I think the what I'm gonna say probably still works actually. Where the first verse is very adversarial. He's setting up, I want to be better than you. Like, I, But yeah. the second verse, bury me deep when there's no will to be better than you. It's almost that resignation. So when you say that it's kind of him fighting against his, his inner demons, that makes a lot more sense because I wasn't quite sure what he was singing about. So you've illuminated me and elucidated perfectly, I think, probably what he is talking about. I tell you what, I may not know much about the, the Muzak, but uh, lyrically I, I can maybe connect some dots for you. Another half a point for the lyrics. There you go. <laughs> Oh, 
So then, then again, that lyrically, oh, I can't stop this train from rolling. Nothing brings me down. I can't stop this train from rolling. Uh, for, no, no, forever, no. You know, it's yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna have to. It's gonna fuck all my scores up, but it, you know what? I, I'll leave it for now, and then we can talk about it at the end, maybe because I'd written down that this 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 part this this train bit. I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on now. Because when I without without thinking about it, when you're fighting against yourself, this doesn't really make any sense. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just it's like, well, what's where's this going now? What's this? What's going on? Yeah. So th- this felt a bit generic to me. Where as you've explained it, what you think this is about, it makes way more sense. Yeah, to me. So yeah, imagine uh, Superman three when uh, Christopher Reeves, where Clark Kent had to fight against the uh, drunken, slovenly, like dirty yeah. Superman. It, it's kind of that, right? He wants to be better than. That, 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 that kind of, that, version that of worst version of himself, right? So yeah. that that's always what I kind of took away from the lyrics on this one. Super interesting, yeah. Brilliant, you might say, on my part for calling that Almost. Out. Yeah, almost. <laughs> Approaching brilliance every day, sir. <laughs> oh, man, if I could approach brilliance every day, I tell you, I'd be a lot more successful than I am. Kevin Brown, um, I obviously know a, a lot about guitars. I'm a huge guitar aficionado. <laughs> so I know about double stops, but um, apparently, uh, Kirk Hammett, back in the early days of Metallica, used to do a lot of double stops. And around 94, he said, a fan came up to him and said, why don't you do double stops anymore? I, I really kind of like that. And so he brought that back into this solo. Why don't you explain to the folks, the layman, if you will, the people who aren't as intellectual as I am, what a double stop is? It's just me playing two notes, essentially. So, and usually in a solo, you just you just hoodla hoodla, and you're playing on one string, or you're moving around the strings. But with a double stop, you you'll play two notes, and usually it's a harmony note, right? So, commonly in a blues in a pentatonic, you're playing the third or the fifth. Sometimes you'll play the seventh, but the third and the fifth are usually the ones that are easier. So it's, that's that's what a double stop is, okay. in very broad general terms. I knew that, but thank you for explaining it to the uh, <laughs> the the people out there who are listening to the show who aren't guitar experts like yourself and, and me. Oh yeah, big big guitar expert over here. I've got I mean I own I own a, I own two guitars. Do you? Can't play F, can't play B cuz then you got a fucking bar. <laughs> Tell you that that Randy Woods guy, he I know he's a bass player. Does he play guitar too? Like a motherfucker. Yeah. I tell you, that that guy's pretty talented. I I got to say. Uh, why you don't podcast with him more is beyond me. <laughs> like he should really be doing this show, not me. Well, he's over in fucking on the Kuala Lumpur or some fucking place. Would, or, I think, well, I, yeah, he's over Southeast Asia. He's right now. He had like a 10 and a half hour flight and he was bugging me because he got Wi Fi on the plane. So I was still getting texts from him. So. <laughs> that, I, I, he, he was nice enough to friend me on Facebook. I know he's cold a lot of the time because every picture he posts, he's in the frozen yeah. tundra of Saskatchewan somewhere uh, w- with a giant mic in his hand, yeah. just looking cold and miserable. And I totally relate to that because I've been that guy. Yeah. <laughs> His boom pole snapped in the really? calls the other, the other week. When we had that real deep freeze, yeah, his boom pole snapped. It wasn't even like that, that cold. Like, we, we've had so Ooh, much colder wait. than that. It was 39, though. It was, it was fucking that's cold. That's like summer. That. That's, that's shirt sleeves. <laughs> Come on. 
39. Oh my god. All right. Which, what do you think what do you think of the solo core on this one? I really like it. I I, I kind of dug it, dug it. I, I really kind of like the vibe of this song. Like musically, I know lyrically it I don't know if lyrically if if the lyrics kind of match the vibe uh, of the music until we get to the chorus. And, and then it really kind of does, but you know, it, it's such a happier kind of vibe to this track as mm-hmm. opposed to kind of the the darker I think uh tone uh, that that the lyrics take, but I I I really kind of kind of dug this solo. Um, it's got a good heavy vibe to it. Uh, to me, the biggest issue was is that this song ends right around three forty four, but it goes until five twenty two. <laughs> I've got down for three fifty ish. That feedback that's your natural endpoint. But anyway, yeah. what I was gonna say, like I'd written down about the solo. It's a, it's quite, it's quite safe. It's really that's not a difficult solo for Kirk Hammett to play, but. Again, like it's exactly what the song needs, and I really like it. it. Doesn't take me out of the song, right? That's like you said. I mean, yeah. with a song like this, it is a vibe, and you don't want anything jarring or something that's going to be, you know, too challenging to listen to. I want something that fits what I what I'm listening to. It's great. Like I think it, I think it's a perfect part, and it does kind of harken back to older Kirk solos that we got, you know, on Ride and on Master and that kind of stuff too, which you wouldn't know. <laughs> but for those of us who've actually heard those over those records, uh, you know, it, right. it, it is a little bit of a callback. So, um. Where do we want to go next? I just had 321 because it's I'd written down and I can't remember exactly why, but this is the hook in the song and I really like it. So that's it, right? It's that big riff. Like I said, you know, again, we talked about last week, um, I think it was Unforgiven too. I'd say I, I, there's no space in that song for anything to breathe. Lots of space here. And there's still quite a bit of playing going on. And you've got, you know, Jason's playing that sympathy bass part that's just really just matching the riff. But because Lars is sitting back as well and he's not overplaying, there's room for this song to breathe. Oh, that's a great song and a, and a great ending, and it ends right there. It, it, it's fantastic. It, it couldn't possibly go on any longer, right? Wrong. Okay, the fact that they, they kind of kick it back into that same repetitive section yeah. we've already had uh, always kind of bugged me. But we, we kind of get into a, a second solo section around 419 that I wanted to play because had they kind of brought it back into this part, I, I think works a lot better. Corey, I'd written down literally exactly the same thing. Oh, my God. Because Kirk plays some really nice stuff in he this He really does, yeah. It's maybe better in the first solo. Yeah.
That's some high quality hoodler. <laughs> and I will say too, and I've been accused rightly of laying into Lars fairly frequently in this in this season, this podcast. I think he played the shit out of that last minute and a half of that song. But absolutely fantastic drumming. Really, really good. I thought all his fills were great. His timing was perfect. You know, he kept he kept the beats, he kept the backbeat going. He wasn't getting in the way of what Kurt was doing. Really well played. So I agree. I think that your end point is that three 50, 348, whatever it was. But then you lose that great little bit of playing. Like the bands aren't cooking there. They're cooking on that outro. Yep. Um, so I might I might sit down some point, Corey, and try doing a little bit of an edit. And see oh, if I, I can come up with something which just slides just a little will, bit. Because yeah. you can definitely trim 30 seconds off this song, right? Easy, easy. Yeah, especially that, because you're coming into that fade out part and then he cut yeah. better than you. And it's that same fucking refrain we just came from. Yeah. Not enough room there. Had they kicked yep. into the double time and that solo? Mm-hmm. I think that's much, much more effective. Um, but all in all, I got to say, better than you, I, I thought it was a pretty decent album track. Obviously, it, it gets some fat trimmed. Uh, musically, I gave it a seven, uh, largely because of Kurt Hammett and what he's doing on this track. Really, yep. really fucking good. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a seven because I totally got that. I want to be better than the demons that are holding me back, yep. uh, which has been a real problem with James Hetfield and his alcoholism. So I totally got that. And it really worked for me. So I gave it a seven for music, seven for lyrics, and a three for production. Knocked it two full points because, like he said, if, if you do an edit on this, you take out that little bit, it's going to improve the song 100%. And you know, it's going to be a 4.5 probably for me then. But there a couple of little things, too, even before we get there, that production-wise, I thought, you know, just space-wise, kind of how everything's kind of mixed right. together, I thought you could maybe kind of improve on a little bit. But it's, it's definitely above average. So uh, for an album track... Uh, Pretty fucking good for me. Better than you. Seven, seven, and three. Uh, Kevin Brown, what were your scores on this one? I like this song a lot. Uh, musically, I give it an eight. Love that riff. I like the bridge section with that step up key change is cool. Um, I did think though that you know the old can't stop this train from rolling. That's that's your bridge section. I don't think you need that twice because they do it either side of the bridge, and that's what we're talking about. Some of this mm-hmm. trimming. I think you can take out the second one because you don't you don't need it after that that first solo. It's, it's a complete um, catastrophe. <laughs> James is, we've, you know, I, I like I said, I criticised James's vocal on Unforgiven Two last week. I think he's completely locked in on this one, and he clearly really gives a shit about it. The bass sounds great on this one. I, I can hear the bass on this one, and Lars's drums sound fantastic. Um, there was one fill that we didn't talk about that we won't go back to. That is an absolute fucking train wreck. And I isolated the drums because I thought, I wonder if it's just something that's clashing where I'm hearing like a, a sort of a passing bass note or something that's kick throwing me off. His kick, it, it, like his kick is so far behind the beat, it's laughable. But it's one of those things that it goes quickly and it's not too abrasive. So I went eight for music. I went seven for lyrics um, also, and I bumped it up a little bit. Uh, the like I said, those two verses didn't make too much sense to me, and then I didn't get that bridge section, but as you've given me this sort of different lens to look at it through, it's going to change my appreciation for the lyrics in the song. Um, and 3.5 production. I'm not docking it quite as much as you for that, you know, for the trimming back, because again, I don't hate really any of the sections. The biggest point that actually, the biggest change I would make is that taking out that second bridge. Other than that, I mean, it sounds good. Mm-hmm. The mix is okay for the most part. I, you know, not Lars's snare sounds good in this, and he plays it properly. He's well done, Lars. Well done, Larsy boy. So yeah, eight, seven, and three point five. We were close on this one. Not bad, not bad. Uh, much better than what you rank some of the album cuts off of uh, side E. So. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, let's see what you think about this one. Never played live. Uh, a little song uh, called Slither. Very popular uh, title uh, yeah. in referring to heavy metal, right? Like, obviously, uh, Velvet Revolver uh, had a big song called uh, Slither. But, I don't know, metal bands love snakes. I, I, I yeah. don't know what it is, but here, here's Metallica's version anyway. This is a, a track called Slither. Why is James's lyric a vocal so low in that intro? That's it's crazy how low it is. It, it's this my one it's of my only. It's an accent. Think, it, it's not meant to be the main because that's going to come back yeah, in the chorus, right? It does. It, yeah, it, it's kind of this ethereal kind of accent. I, I I didn't mind that at all because we're going to get that uh, full blown uh, come chorus time. But you, you want to yeah. pepper that in here? Uh, I I thought it was okay. Yeah, it bugged me a little bit, but no, I mean not. Not too much that it sort of ruined anything, but I thought, yeah, that should be, it should be, I should be able to hear it. But you know what? It's don't go looking for snakes. You might find them. It, it's kind of that, that, that kind of like, you know, my, Snake my daughter, my daughter is deathly afraid of mice. So we're, we're constantly looking around the house for mice. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost kind of like that, you know, don't go looking for snakes. Don't go looking for mice. You might find one. And I, I don't want to find one. I don't like mice either. So I, I, I didn't mind that out. That was kind of underneath the mix a little bit. Fair enough. Do you, do you guys have cat allergies in your house? No, it actually, uh, I found Get a, a cat, because you will not have any mice. You know what? I found a cat at the Humane Society uh, yesterday as we record nice. this, and we're trying to talk the wife into it. We already have three rabbits, a guinea pig, a fish tank, and a dog. So it's like, but, you know, trying to convince the wife, you know, one more animal. One but more. <laughs> I would love to find a mouse or a cat, though, because my daughter, she's 15 years old. We still have to tuck her in at night, because she's so, yeah. she saw a mouse in her room one time. Freaked her the fuck out. Yeah. And and so we, we are still tucking her in every single night. I'd love to get away from that. The cat could live in her room. He can catch all the mice. Uh, it, it, it's all good. We live literally across the street from the dump. Uh, yeah. We are in Waver, Saskatchewan. <laughs> so we got a ton of mice. Uh, a lot more than she knows about, actually. She's in bed. She can't hear me right now, so that's good. She doesn't listen to my show either. Like She called me at work screaming because she saw a mouse in her room. I'm like, how big is a mouse? How big are you? Why are you afraid of this tiny little fucking thing? But she's like hysterical. And and so the, yeah. the, you have this little fear. Don't go looking for snakes. You might find them be, because I have that kind of personal connection to it. it I don't know. It kind of worked for me. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Funnily, I mean, I didn't realize you had rabbits. Because that's not come, Three, weirdly, that's not come up on our call. Three fucking rabbits. We had a pet bunny who lived 14 years. Oh, shut up. They're going to live 15 years? Fuck. No, they don't usually. They live usually, but usually about seven or eight. But this little guy, like, he literally, when he died, is he basically had no fur left on his elbows. <laughs> like, he was just this little worn out little little rag doll of a oh rabbit. But he was, he was so much fun. Um, my daughter's best friend was breeding rabbits. And so we, she got a little rabbit for Christmas. His name is yeah. Hershey. He's a little dickhead. I love him. He's, he's <laughs> yeah. fun. But every time we go to the pet store now, they would bring in rabbits. And we found this one. Um, he wouldn't go to anybody. Uh, his name is Thumper. But right. he took to my daughter for some reason, and, like, she could pet him, she could pick him up. So it's like, well, he's a rescue rabbit. We, we've we already got the litter. We've already got everything. we got to bring mm-hmm. him home. He's a total dickhead, too, but I really like this rabbit. <laughs> and then the third one, kind of the same thing. 
Uh, he's giant and he's black and his name is Angus. So I'm I'm an ACDC fan. I'm like that's Angus, back in black. <laughs> fuck off. We 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 got to get Angus. We we've got now the three rabbits. We got a guinea pig because my other daughter wanted a guinea pig, uh, and he's a little dickhead. I love him. He's he's fantastic. We got a dog named Chewbarka because and whenever you hear me do a podcast and you hear barking, that's Chewbarka because he's the tiniest little fucking mutt. Uh, he was abandoned on the side of the road. His owner put him in a bag, tied it off, and threw him off the highway. And, and we, oh we picked him up from the main side. He's the greatest little dog ever. But he's got a total personality. And uh, uh, Jared Stroder, I know you're listening to the show because you work with me and you, you listen to the show. You know Chewbarka because he loves you. Like, he loves everybody but us. But if you ever hear barking <laughs> on a show, it's because of Chewbarka. We love bringing in rescue animals. I'm so trying to get the wife talked into a cat because, yeah. None of us really like mice, and uh, if yeah. we can get a, a a little creature in here that'll help us catch mice, all the better. My last word on that before we get back to the song is: don't get a Maine Coon. We have one best cat in the world. Thinks he's a dog, terrified of everything. <laughs> if he saw a mouse, he'd either try to play with it or run a mile. <laughs> Okay, now can I show you the flaw in the drumming? Okay, this drumming to me really harkens back to Phil Rudd. Because until we get to the solo, Lars is playing like Phil Rudd here. Right? He's just keeping the time and he's got some swing to it. Yeah. And I really kind of dig that. He's not like, oh, look at me. I can Metallica. He's Phil Rudding it here and it fucking works. I was going to ask you about this, Corey, because I was thinking about this because I was thinking exactly the same thing on this song. Maybe not the Phil Rudd comparison, but you're dead right on it. Um, as Metallica, Black Album, Load, getting into Reload now, I've noticed Lars getting better at backing off. And I think, I wonder, I wonder if it's because, you know, he comes from that thrash background he's used to playing a mile a minute where he doesn't need to do this on on these, they're hard rock songs, they're not heavy metal songs. Right. Or in fact, in some cases, they're almost touching on pop rock. I think he's just Country. finding his level here. It seems like he's finding his level here. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's playing to what the material is. And yeah, like, like exactly. said, they're, they're playing a lot of blues. They're playing a lot of country, even some pop. Um, he still, during the solo sections, is playing too much. I, yeah. I, I think that's just a large trope that we're going to have to live with. And again, I'm coming from a Van Halen show where Alex yeah. Van Halen, you know, he's playing off his little brother. He's like, okay, you want to do that? You're the greatest guitar player on the planet. I get you. Watch what I can do to accent that and it works so yeah. well but Lars and Kurt and James like they, they don't have that so Lars is yeah. just kind of like I'm going to throw in the fucking thing here because I think the guitars are stuck or whatever the fuck is going through his little Danish twat head right and sometimes <laughs> it works and sometimes it doesn't but here he's just like fuck all that at least until the solo he's yeah. like I'm just going to play this play it straight and put some swing in it like Phil Rudd does everyone thinks Phil Rudd is a boring drummer for ACDC but not a lot of people can do what Phil Rudd does. Okay. Yeah.
we got this phaser effect on the vocals that really kind of takes me back to Lane Staley and Allison Chains. Is that kind of just like a product of the time when this album came out? Yeah, and just a production decision, like you said. See you crawling. They're doing. They want to. They wants to do something different to give that a bit more emphasis. And I don't love the pre. I mean, I don't hate the pre-chorus. I don't dislike it actually at all. But it feels a bit like I like the rest of the song is. I think is a bit stronger. I think the pre-chorus just feels a bit unfinished, and they're relying on that face to give them the movement they want in the song, which maybe is a bit of an unfair criticism because the verse. I love the groove, and again, there's lots of space in it. Love uh, James's delivery on "Oh, watch the puppets dancing." You're like it's a great line. See the clowns fall down. Yeah. Like he does that whole thing where he's moving the the vocal line around. And again, you you talk about this lots, right? With lyrics about with James, it's such a visual lyric. You know, "Oh, watch the puppets dancing." Yes, yeah, see the clowns fall down. Hey, tap you tie your tap shoes tightly. That's a really weird line to say as well. Mm-hmm. But you'd be tongue tied trying to sing that one, which they didn't do this one live, right? There you go. It's yeah. probably because of that line because they want to try- tackle it. Very visual. It sets up the song beautifully. It does, but then we get into the don't go looking for a snake section and it gets kind of back into that kind of bogged down kind yeah. of, it, it doesn't match what what we, what we had before. And, and that was my biggest issue uh, with Slither. Mm-hmm. almost like they're, they're they're trying to like okay we want to get metallica into the 1990s but it's it's almost like artificial like i i love that oh watch the puppets dancing section like like you talked yeah. about it had the whole song kind of followed that whole uh you know feel i would have been more on board with it but then we, we it just feels kind of like a metallica trying to do alice in chains uh, at, at this point okay here. and i don't know a ton of alice in chains i know I don't know of them, I know what they sound like. And I get that. I get that kind of comment. And, you know, of course, they're going to be listening to the radio. They're going to be attuned. And they're a big rock act. They, I mean, they've got this a business as well as it's a band, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they've got to move units. They've got to sell records. So I can kind of see where sometimes you're going to say, well, let's see if we can do that. Make it Metallica still, but see if we can get that kind of vibe coming in. So I don't mind that too much. I love that little bluesy descending progression underneath. Haven't I seen you here before? I really like that. That just tickles my little funny bone there. Um, yeah. I don't know. A- we, we have ACDC influence, which I'm kind of on board with because I love that yeah. band. And then we go into like Soundgarden. Or like Alice yeah. in Change, which I'm kind of less on board with. Okay, uh, doesn't bother me too yeah, much. I, I don't know if they if they mesh as well as they should. I do have a bit of a quibble with a James Hetfield delivery, which I don't know how many times I've picked that apart. We've got about one fifty eight, and it's the line "Yeah, with serpents I have found," and it's kind of the lyric and the delivery that I I just don't think is particularly brilliant. It just feels a bit, it feels a bit awkward. Yeah. Like if you think about it, if you've gone with, yeah, with the serpents I've found, then you can sort of, you can punch it a little bit more. It's not exactly staccato, but it would fit the angular nature of the riff. But with serpents I have found, it just feels a bit floppy, <laughs> you know? Had they kind of like, if they kind of sat down and said, we want to do an ACDC song, 
and, and kind of followed that follow through, I think I would have been more on board. But we kind of have this mixing okay. of of genres, and yeah, that that whole section that really didn't kind of work for me. Yeah. Here's one where Lars was doing his best Phil Rudd up until the solo. And then he had, oh, wait, I'm Phil, I'm Lars Ulrich. I got to fuck this up. And he just started playing all sorts of shit. Had he just kind of Phil Rudded it through that whole solo section, I think I would have liked it more. Because I really like what Kurt was doing with the guitar there. But Lars is just kind of, he's too busy. Like, you, you don't have to throw yeah. that much shit in there. If you're doing, if you're trying to do an ACDC clone, like, follow it all the yeah. way through. Like Phil Rudd during a, an Angus Young solo, he's not throwing shit in there. He might act, he might hit the crash every once in a while. He's not hitting a tom. He's not doing any of that shit. Angus Young is a fucking superstar. Let him shine. You're just <laughs> yeah. there to kind of keep. And, and Cliff Williams, what the fuck is he doing on ACD song? His entire yeah. career is. Yeah, but it works. But here's like Lars. Oh fuck, and it, it, it's unnecessary. I really like the guitars. I really don't like the drums. It's so funny because I can't remember what song it was. I think it was something off the Black Album where I'd fucking torn into Lars for doing that. And you'd said that, oh, I wasn't even, I think it might have been Wherever I May Roam even. It, probably. Uh, not. Probably because that's the one that I think we really differed on. Yeah. And I'd say, and, and it's funny because I wasn't listening to Lars here. I tuned, <laughs> maybe I've just tuned him out. So I didn't even hear it. And I've made no notes on that. Oh, my um, God. Like, what? You, you okay, now we'll leave it out of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'll trust that you're, you're right because he does have a tendency to do it. I just didn't notice it. I would say, like, this solo's super interesting because it, it's got three different sections to it. So I love it when it comes in because you've got both of them soloing and they're playing that thing. You know, it's the thing that the Eagles do where they're one's playing the melody and then one's playing the harmony part with two different tones and it sounds super, super cool. The second half, though, it moves into then is really cribbing Joe Perry's sound. It's that really aggressive, it sounds just like a Les Paul plugged into an amp. Right. With but gained up to fuck and loads of distortion on it without any effects or anything. And then the third part, then it goes back into Kirk Hammett's signature sound. So I, I, again, just as a production choice to kind of change that up and move that solo along like that and have it in three different sections. And maybe that's why, because I was listening to that and really enjoying it, that I just didn't hear the little uh, Danish twat fucking about on the drums. <laughs> so, you know. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I'm going to call back to your favorite band of all time, Def Leppard, uh, because they don't, like, they have two great guitar players. I know you disagree, but Phil Collin, Vivian Campbell, and Steve Clark before him, great guitar players. But there's not one lead guy, not one rhythm guy. They flop back right. and forth. And, and that's kind of what, what you get here. Like, you, you listen to a Def Leppard solo. Like, on some solos, Vivian kicks it off, and then Phil does a thing, and then Vivian does a thing. It's like why... I remember hearing that, like, you know, Slash actually tried out after Steve Clark died. He actually played with Def Leppard a little bit. But, okay. he, you know, he's more of a traditional, I'm the lead guitar player, I play the solo. 
Yeah. Whereas in Def Leppard, it's it's a back and forth thing. That's why you can have like a, a Vivian Campbell who is great, uh, you know, playing back with like fucking Ronnie James Dio and shit in Whitesnake. Like the guy's a great guitar player. He's yeah. not just a straight rhythm guy. But in Def Leppard, they don't play straight rhythm, right? It bounces back and forth. And I, I kind of got that kind of Def Leppard vibe uh, on this one too, which is maybe explains why uh, you don't like it as much as I do. I don't know. I love this solo. Yeah, I mean, I, and don't get me wrong. Like, I, I have no problem with any of the musicians in Def Leppard. I just don't like their songs. Well, and you don't an, like the singer too, which is a big. And I don't like the singer. Up, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of important. Oh, it's everything, especially like if, yeah. If I don't like a singer's voice, it's literally game over. It's like, well, try and work through it. I've, I've tried Eddie Vedder. I just can't get there. I cannot Fair get enough. past the fact that I don't like his voice. Fair so, enough. There you go. Yeah, but we should go. We should play from here because. You know, we talk about production choice and we talk about transitions. There's a production choice here where they go back to the pre-chorus. And I don't think it was, I don't think it's the right. I think you should just go straight back to the chorus here mm -hmm. because I think it would just, again, you want to move the song a little bit. Five, five minutes, 14 seconds in this song. I want something to keep me interested and engaged. When we go back to the pre-chorus again, it's like, okay, I've heard this before. Let's move it. And I think, you, I think they could have just gone straight back into the chorus here. 100%. Could not agree more. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I understand why you might be tempted to do that, but it's more interesting to go right back into the don't go looking for snakes uh, chorus section. Yeah, I agree. Especially because you've got that big kick and, and big kick and crash to start it off where you don't get that because he's on the toms with the, with the pre-chorus. Right. And it just it sort of drifts into that section rather than bursting out of the solo, which I think would just have would worked a little bit better. 100%. Now, the big issue for me was the fucking end. Do, we, do you have anything before uh, the fade out? I had 353 because I love that section. Okay. Man, that is, it's crunchy and it's good. Yeah. And had they ended the song there, man, that that would have been such a, a better product than what than what we got here. Because uh, when yeah. we get it, like this is a song that it, we get a fade out and then a, a hard stop during the fade out. And it's like, why yeah. the fuck do you do that? Yeah, and I'd written the same thing. You, yeah, you end the song after there. No, there ain't. No, there ain't no heroes here. That's that's again. That's your point. This section, why I like it so much is which. What was the song? What's the last song on Lord Luke's? The name of it's completely Outlaw Torn, right? Yes. Well, yep. the last three minutes of that song is Lars playing this. He's playing straight backbeat. He's not doing anything. There's no fills in it. There's nothing in there. But he's also not adding anything in. We're here. He's putting little, a couple of little cymbal smack clashes in, and he's putting some work on the hi hats. It's like, okay, that's how you play a backbeat, but you still kind of make it just a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. I think he nails this, but, you know, again, this section's so open, and when you've got that groove, doom, 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 and it's really low and really dirty, and then you get that, again, that crystal clear tone from Kirk. I think it just sounds fantastic. I love that little section. It's really great, but then we get into the actual ending of the song, yeah, and that's where things kind of fall apart for me. Uh, did you have another timestamp before kind of five minutes? Let's. Look right from there because I got to. We're talking about ACDC, and we definitely got to talk about ACDC in the in the intro here. 
Where have you heard that lick before, Corey? <laughs> yeah. She ain't exactly pretty. She ain't exactly, exactly small. small. <laughs> that's it. That's what that is. 59, you could say she got it all. That's 100%. what it is. And, whole and, lot and of that is Rosie. 100% deliberate. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But then we, God, and then we fade out and then we stop. It's like, yeah, I, I, I'm not absolutely. a big fan of the fade out anyway, but especially on Metallica record. Yeah. Uh, but here it really fucking bugged me. So uh, Slither never played live. Um, I got you, musically, I gave it a five. I thought it was kind of generic. I thought it was kind of stock. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Fine. That, that, that's great. But there, there's, and Lars, if you want to Phil Rudd it through a song, I get it. You're not as good as Phil Rudd. Few people are in, in terms of, of swing and feel and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, in the soul, oh, I gotta Lars it up again. And, <laughs> I don't know. It fucking bugged me. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a six uh, because I I, I kind of like that whole kind of theme of don't go looking for snakes because you might find them. And yeah. be, because I'm going through this with my daughter and my son, I don't know. Maybe hit a little bit home. Generic, sure, but there's enough in there that I put it above average. And then uh, production two point five. Um, really kind of average in every way is this song. Uh, lyrically, I put just a slight bump ahead. But if you're going to do an ACDC clone, then you have to try, follow it all the way through. Like, like don't just all of a sudden decide to throw in Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and then a little bit of Metallica too. Like, you know, I love ACDC. They're one of my favorite bands. I love every single record they do. But nobody does ACDC like ACDC. And nobody does Soundgarden like, like Soundgarden. Nobody does Alice in Chains like Alice in Chains. And Metallica is trying to dip their toe in a bunch of different pools. I don't know if it, it was totally successful. So as an album track, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. 5, 6, and 2.5. What did you think about Slither? I basically just like this song. I like it musically. And I, I don't get that. I don't get that same, I've not got that same hang up with the sort of the, the different parts because I kind of like it for that because I think if it just did the same thing all the way through, I think I'd like it less, actually. Um, so I went 7 for music because... It doesn't knock my socks off, and it's fairly straight ahead, as we discussed, but I do like that sometimes when we talked about, at length, we talked about ACDC. Um, I think the chorus does drop off a little bit. It is a little bit, it's not quite as interesting, but I do like that descending run. I like that little descending run. Um, lyrics, I went to seven as well. I think there's some really strong lyrics in this song, but they're definitely a bit uneven. So what I've written down is the first verse is way better than the second, mm-hmm. and the second half of the chorus is stronger than the first half of the chorus. Apart from the you know don't go for look, don't go looking for snakes you might find them that's great, but then don't send your eyes to the sun you might blind them. Yeah, that's so it's like one of those. It feels like one of those really good lines that he wrote that he didn't want to lose, but it doesn't fit into this song, right? You know, so small small things. It's a pretty solid lyric for me. Production went three. I'm not gonna knock it too much i agree with most of your points i think that weird stop in the fade out is weird you could have definitely changed the ending of it we talked about it i think we're right on that i think we're better producers than bob rock is what i'm saying Corey. In oh, this wow. um so the production steps are there but they don't you know they don't bother me that much i went three uh, i went three okay yeah so i'm at seven seven and three for this one it's like you said it, I, for me this is a really good album track all right well the first two tracks on side b kevin never played live this one has been played a whopping four times by Metallica. Travesty. I, I tell you, I, it, it, it's something. Uh, I know uh, your, your personal motto is seize the day. So I, I think this song speaks to you uh, quite a bit. This little track called Carpe Diem Baby. 
So my, when I started listening through the album the first couple of times, I thought, oh, we're doing this again. Yeah. We're back in Bleeding Me, Memory Remains, we're slowing it down. Like, they just kind of lean into the same thing all the time here. And this is what I said to you about, you know, when you've got 27 tracks or whatever, it's going to be difficult to really find different ways to go. So you're going to play around the same type of riff. And I'd be willing to bet that some of the, like Memory Remains or this one or, you know, Bleeding Me maybe kind of all came out of the same jam where they thought, well, we'll take that riff and we'll use that later on and we'll put, take this bit and we'll use it here because they're all kind of in the same tempo. They're, they're all the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I was a little bit worried when this one started. I thought, okay, I, I think we're just doing the same thing too often here. I tell you, when this first started up, I'm... Um after listening to the other songs on this record i got bored like very fast uh, on this one because you, you hear a title like carpe diem baby and it, it kind of leads to a certain expectation that i don't think the music reaches here dun, 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 dun. like i just heard this two songs ago i heard this on the same fucking side like it's it, it's the exact same feel it's the exact same riff <laughs> almost and it's like I don't know, boring was, was was kind of my main thought going through okay. this song. I think we might end up in a little ways apart on this one. <laughs> I'm guessing. I don't even find the lyrics that interesting. Hit dirt, shake tree, split sky, part C. Like, it, it, it just seems kind of lazy, doesn't it? Strip, smile, lose, cool. Like, you're, you're, you're just kind of fitting words in, in, in into the melody. It doesn't mean anything. Well, I was leaving this in my comments at the end, but I'll address it now because I, I really like that. Because it's a specific thing you do with the songwriting, right? They're epic and they're abstract. So Sting does this quite a lot. Not exactly like this, but he, he, he does the same thing where he doesn't, he doesn't form full sentences. He just throws ideas at you. And that's what I like about this, where they're not, there's no if, that, and, you know, there's no sort of participles in there. But it's got, or, sorry, particles, uh, grammatical particles. But you get more visual impact because it's just this series of this series of images, or I do anyway. Um, and I'll maybe talk about how I ended up gluing all this together and why the lyrics actually were more impactful for me at the end because I relate them to something cinematic and visual okay. something very specific so which isn't not what the song's about at all like it's, it's a connection that i make to it so well that, that that's great for you for me it, it just seemed kind of random it's like yeah. I, I i'm just throwing words in there because i need words here live win dare fail eat the dirt and bite the nail like it all just seems kind of you know if ai was gonna try and write a profound metallica <laughs> song this is kind of what it would come up with Can I show you the fly in the drumming? <laughs> I love that, Phil, coming in because it's that drag time. And Randy told me what the actual term for that is, where you sort of come off beat slightly. And I can't remember what exactly what it's called, but there's a term for it, which I'll find out again. Because it'd be good to throw that in, pepper it in now and again, right, to make yes, it sound intelligent. That's right. 
I just really like how heavy that riff is. And I know that, like you said, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from if it's a little bit repetitive for you, but if it's that's that thing, right? If you like it, you don't mind it being played a lot because you kind of like hearing it. Mm -hmm. But I've got one, again, one comment here that I'm really surprised about actually a little bit. I think come comet carpe diem baby. It just it's weird that you put that first word on. Yeah. So I just sent you a link in the Zoom chat because mm -hmm. I took that word out. And I think when it's because and the reason for it is if you say because carpe diem, as I'm sure everyone knows, means seize the day. If you say come seize the day, baby, that's kind of like a an invitation. If you say seize the day, baby, that's a that's a command, right? That's a directive, that's an order. And for the tone of the song and sort of the the visuals and what I get from it, it makes more sense for me to be for for that to be an order than to be a, an invitation. So I took it out, and I think I think it sounds better. I'm glad you left it there. Yeah, suck it. <laughs> I left that in for you. Yeah. Thank you. But Thank I just, you. I just think that that's more, it's more aggressive. It fits, again, it fits the weight of the song better. So it's really, I just find that really odd that he put come, like come seize the day. It's it's yeah. like, it's almost like a fucking, a pyramid scheme mantra or something. Like, it's just weird, I think. It, you know? It's almost because he has come squeeze and suck the day as the line before. Yeah, you don't. He, so, he, and well, there's an even better reason not to add it for the as the first line of the second or the first word of the second he, line. He has a come callback, which is never a good thing, right? <laughs> oh, Kevin's choking on water. My 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 apologies, but yeah, I I I, I totally get what you're saying. Anyway, absolute nonsense. All right, uh, <laughs> three oh nine. Like I don't have a lot of timestamps in this one because I find it pretty boring. But okay, we'll go to two ten because there's okay. something that James Hatfield does in his delivery that I've definitely never heard him do before. Okay, and I want to see if you pick up on it before I tell you what I think. What I well, I know what he's doing. Is it the I, 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 little bit no, of Axl Rose in there? You might have to go just a little bit. Go back. What did I say to go back to you, 10? Go back to about 206, 207. Okay. He's putting vibrato on death and curve. He's, he's that, you know, people don't know what vibrato is, that little wobble in your voice. Mm -hmm. I've definitely never heard him do that before. He doesn't use vibrato hardly at all, right? So yeah, yeah. And so I just I like it there because again, it's a little texture that you don't you don't hear anywhere else. So quite like that. So I find that I find that interesting. Uh, I think I was asleep at this point in the song that I I totally oh missed it. <laughs> there's there's nothing new. There's nothing innovative here. There's nothing that separates this from any sort of heavy metal bullshit that you would get from any other band in the '80s or '90s at this point, right? It just yeah, let me ask, let me ask you a question. You're you're a Zep fan, right? More yep. or less. Yeah. You know what they're doing here, right? You know what you know what song they're basically trying to write, like is Kashmir. Yeah. And it, it kind of there's a few bits in later on where you get some of those sort of Easterny almost chords in there. But that's what I bit. So, yeah. but Kashmir is a long song that doesn't do very much of anything. Do you do you dislike Kashmir or is I don't. I love Kashmir. Okay. 
but cashmere is interesting. Like, e- even yeah. the riff is more interesting than what we get here. Lyrically, it's more interesting than what we get here. I like this one. <laughs> I, I, I like cashmere. Is it too long? Sure. But I, I think they're doing more in cashmere than what Metallica is doing here. Okay. So you don't like that major key change there where he's playing, again, not not quite a double starts, but he's playing those those two notes instead of one and bending? You don't it's, like that? It's fine. I think it's fucking stock. What, <laughs> which part of that is unclear to you? It's fine. It, 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 it's not bad. It's not like a, all of a sudden started listening to a great white song or something that's just bullshit. Like, it's it's <laughs> fine, but it's I expect more from Metallica because this we is a are- band... I really, really like, and I put it like, kind of on par with my enjoyment of Led Zeppelin, whereas Cashmere is a much more interesting song, and, and this is just kind of paint by numbers, blah, 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 blah. I got to put a thing in here. They're, they're, they're not really elevating the material. I cannot wait to see how far apart we are. <laughs> <laughs> it could be our biggest swing yet. It might since, be, yeah. Since maybe whatever I may roam, which I think I gave, was I 10, 10, and 5? I must have been close. I think you were, yeah. yeah I'm you pretty were sure like, you were. You were much lower, so, yeah. Uh, we, where to did, did, did you read too though that it, this is James playing this solo mm-hmm. yeah which is kind of cool because it does sound different um, 435 because they do that little dropout but they also put a bit more the, the riff changes slightly and again this is oh, you were asleep at this point Corey so you might have yes, missed it exactly. but they add a little bit of sauce onto the riff Okay, um, and it's just after on Eat Dirt Bite the Nail it's that line where there's there's a couple of extra notes that they put into the riff Live when death Lyrically, that that's all just nonsense. Like, uh, live, win, dare, fail, eat dirt, bite the nails, strip, smile, lose, cool, bleed the day, and break the rule. Uh, hug the curve. Do you know what that's a, a reference to? We're kind of going back to racing with uh, with James Hetfield there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, hug the curve just means get get in the inside line, right? Exactly. Stay tight yeah. on the inside line. Yeah. yeah, noose the time. Like it's just kind of kind of words that that that, that kill, sound kill the time. Decent. Yeah, but kill, yeah. kill time. Yeah, come on, put a little effort into it. I like him. I quite like him. <laughs> but just keep keep. It's so funny too because I'm going to tell you sort of four fifty eight, which we're almost there anyway. I actually written, I'll tell you the second bit, but I said, this is how you make a long song interesting. Just add little things like this to change it up. And again, I mean, I know that these are, you know, they're not dramatic changes, but it's, I, I really fell in love with the riffs right away. So I think probably I was just a bit more forgiving. And then all the extra little things I was really enjoying. And it's the addition of that, come on, come on, where they just, that's not been anywhere else. They bring it in here to just kind of, it just moves the song along a bit, Corey.
little Danish twat played a pretty good fucking fill there. It's all right. It's fine. Corey's just not having it with this song. I was bored. <laughs> uh, I, I'm kind of looking at my watch from listening to this. I'm like, I don't know. They, they, they've done better. Well, let's go to 539 because we get the outro. And this is where, because I really like that lead into the last verse. Oh, sorry, where I felt the, sorry, the opposite. I found the lead into the last verse was a bit flat because the building's the ending here. I think is really, really good. And I think it's where it makes it the perfect closer for a side of an album. I was just thinking that I, I what Aerosmith songs that on? Is that because that's on something from Nine Lives? I think you know what that, it's that same kind of you know what I mean. It actually reminded me more of "Don't Cry" by Guns N' Roses. I, I, I. Like, of oh, course, yeah, Axel holds Axel's. it for like two fucking minutes or whatever, and just makes it awful. But to me, it was a it was a call. But it was it sounded more like "Don't Cry." Uh, okay, than, but there's there's something on there's something on. I'm sure, it's Nine Lives that's got that. Because there's a bit like I was one of my notes I'd written for this. I could really see this, and I've watched some of, I've listened to some of S and M. I haven't listened to all of it yet, which was my homework. But I could really see this one working for that because it's got. There's a few spots where they put in, they're like these diminished ninth chords or there's something like that that are very Persian. It's got that kind of feel to it. So I thought if you had like a the big strings and horns playing that kind of stuff, um, I think it would sound fantastic. They, they gotta elevate it like uh, even if it's an orchestra dude bam like they're not they're, they're playing the main through line i don't think is very interesting uh, yeah fair enough i don't know to you, me you're wrong but that's okay <laughs> i'm never wrong just ask my wife or, or my family i'm completely right and so when i say that i thought carpe diem baby played four times uh four too many uh, for my liking musically i gave it a four uh this is my <laughs> first sub five on a Metallica track that we've done this season. It's just boring. <laughs> like, it's the same fucking thing over and over again. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a five, because it's literally just uh, James, you know, sitting at the breakfast nook, just like uh, fucking <laughs> draw lead, piss wine, sink teeth, all mine, just throwing words out there, not really giving a shit. Uh, for a, a song titled Carpe Diem Baby, I expected more. I expected like a, a theme. I don't know, like seize the day, motherfucker. That's the name of the song. And so wash your face away with dirt. Didn't work for me. Uh, production, I gave it a two. So I'm four or five and two. It's repetitive. <laughs> it's too long. It's boring as fuck. It's just not interesting. I expected more from the band. And for my album tracks thus far on Reload, this is my least favorite. Kevin Brown, go ahead, throw some nines at me. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Music nine. Yeah, there we go. Again, it's that thing of it's, but it's that, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast and, and season one in Genesis and season two with the Ultimate Catalog Clash. Or season two, what? Season two with Metallica. Sometimes you just like a song. And this song just, it hits the right spot for me. It's the wheelhouse of what I like, that sort of slower stuff. I think it's the best of the slower, sort of sludgiest songs on this record. Um, and I don't get bored of it at all. I think it's a great solo. 
from James and what Kirk does during the solo shows you that he can actually play rhythm as well because he's just he's doing the opposite right now. He's sitting back mm-hmm. and letting James have the spotlight. Um, couple, a couple of production decisions, uh, production uh, decisions that I thought were a little bit crap, um, but not enough to knock it because I love it overall. So production four point five. Like I said, it, <laughs> it's one of those two that I, it, I, it definitely didn't hit me the first time I, I listened to it. But it's a repeated listen things. It's it's one that's really grown on me and worked its way under my skin. Um, so under really good headphones, like I said, I think with a big orchestral arrangement would work. L- lyrics, I'm going nine. Because I fucking love big epic abstract lyrics like this. Now, the thing that it, I connect it with, Corey, and why I, I think probably why I like it so much is because I can visualize... Have you ever seen Spartacus Blood and Sand? Did you ever watch that TV show? No, I never did. You should watch it. It's extraordinarily graphic, uh, both in terms of sort of violence and nudity and sexuality and all that kind of Ooh. stuff. But it's one of those shows that it's not just all sort of, you know, death and, and shagging. There's some very, very strong performances in it as well. And the scripts are good. And it's all sort of, so it's, it's about um, Spartacus breaking out of the, the Ludus and, and leading the, the slave rebellion, the Thracian slave rebellion. And so there's a lot of the, the words that he uses and the sort of the, the images that he draws in my mind that really just tie it back to that series. So I've got an anchor point that I can use to to enjoy it. So I've got I've gone high. This is my favorite song on the album so far is nine nine and four point five. I mean I love Fuel, and this is where I got into like Fuel is a perfect song for what it is. But I've, I just find this more interesting musically. There's more to listen to in this song. So I'm they sorry. used to say I was hyperactive. Now they say I'm self motivated. So wrong one. <laughs> is that Mr. Is that Mr. Lee Roth? I believe it, it was. I, I, I hit the wrong button. Hold on. This is really fucking lame <laughs> and weak. Feel so disrespected. I, I really do. <laughs> I don't get it. No. <laughs> You're entitled to your opinion as wrong as it is. So uh, interesting uh, side B uh, reload. Oh, there's a cat on the call. I love it. Yeah, this is our big stupid boy. Oh, I want Dang a cat one. so bad. I need, I need a mouser. It, there's <laughs> he's, one he's not he's, he's the he's the not the most <laughs> okay well there's one at pet value in Weyburn here from the humane society they have 71 cats right now and they go cat one you gotta go release one of the kitties i know we we, we gotta save a kitty help me convince my wife we need a cat <laughs> but don't convince her that side b of reload is any good because i tell you my totals for side b uh music five and a half for me lyrics six <laughs> and production two and a half uh wow by far my lowest rated side uh, from Metallica, 90s output. Uh, wow. What were your final grades on uh, Reload Side B? You're not going to believe this. Eight. Oh. 7.5 and four. Wow. And I checked. This is this is my joint highest rated side this season. <laughs> Only Side B, the Black Album, is the that's, that's the other one that I, I rated really, really highly. Wow. All right. There's just, I just, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know whether it's the way I was feeling. I don't know whether I just... I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed the songs on this side. Two album, two like I said, straight up. You know, like you said, solid album tracks or, or not bad album tracks. But Carpe Diem, baby, it just hit me, Corey. I just really liked it. Wow. But you're not as confused as him, are you? I mean, it's not your job to be as confused as Nigel. <laughs> well, you added the second line in fantastic. <laughs> I had to. I had to. I knew this was coming. All right. Uh, so, uh, of course, because this is a double album. Uh, on vinyl uh we're gonna average uh our sides a and b together uh so my final score 
for sides A and B of load are music, 6.5, lyrics, 6.5, production, 2.5. Kevin Brown, what is your average score for sides A and B of reload? Jesus, I didn't do my, I didn't break them down, so I've got to go. You have one job, like. I know. This isn't the first fucking episode. Come on, you you know this shit. I know my average between. I know my total overall average between the two sides. So music would be seven. Okay. Uh, would be six point five for lyrics. Okay. And well, four and two point five. So let's say I think three point five. My total was seventeen in the end. So I don't know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So seven, six point five, and three point five for a total of seventeen. And I'm like fifteen point five. So we're we're not hugely off actually on, on both. Yeah. Cause you're at thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, six year seventeen on the nose. Yeah. Wow. So you're you're in the camp of all the people who hate reload, maybe give it another listen because you're you're actually kind of a fan of this uh so far anyway, the first two sides. Don't mind it. I mean in sides C and D, from my recollection, it tapers. Um, but like I said to you, I mean, I, you know, and I'm not coming into this with any Metallica baggage. I don't have all that Cliff Burton fanboy stuff going on. I don't know the first four albums, so I don't have that to compare this to. So coming in, like the variance between Metallica to Load, the highs are fairly comparable. I think the lows are maybe a little bit lower on Load. And so far, I found on this one's kind of the same thing. But I do know because I have listed the album all the way through. I, now that I'm sitting here and I haven't done my sort of listen through for the analysis, I can't bring to mind a single lick of side C and D, which doesn't bode well, <laughs> right? But when I get there, maybe I'll think, oh yeah, that one's all right. So I wouldn't say, I think that Reload probably will end up three out of the third of three, but let's wait and see because I wasn't expecting side B to be as high as it was on this record. So. Oh man, next week side seed, we have Bad Seed, Where the Wild Things Are, and Prince Charming. Mm. Uh, coming up and then side D is low man's lyric attitude and fixer so <laughs> I, there's one there's one song that's right too there's one song left on this record and I'm not going to tell you which side it is that I really like okay fucking picking at me all night god Kevin just constantly <laughs> but you know what oh that was loud but it's time <laughs> To play the big four. That's right. Kevin Brown picked up two points on me last week. Uh, my my uh, lead is shrinking. I'm currently leading nine to seven. Kevin, why don't you explain the game and then uh, give me your uh, four bands for the big four. So we are playing the big four. That's why Corey's playing the four horsemen there. Um, I'm going to give Corey four bands, including Metallica. So Metallica plus three. And what Corey has to do is rank them from highest to lowest in terms of monthly Spotify listeners. Yeah, you, you all, I almost got it. I got two last week, which was not a bad performance. That's pretty good. Sucking. That's I've pretty good. Sucking. Yeah. So I'm hoping that I can throw you a little bit here and make up some ground. So okay. Now I did tell you last week that we'd both picked the same band for last week and this week. So your four are Metallica. Okay. Imagine Dragons. Shut up. <laughs> Foo Fighters. Okay. And The Killers. The Killers? Who the fuck the is killers. that? The Killers. What do you mean, who are The Killers? Who are The Killers? You don't know The Killers? I don't uh, think... Mr. Brightside? I know that I'm song. Mis- is that The Killers? Yeah, that, that's The Killers, yeah. 
Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, because I remember, because we were recording these on the same night, <laughs> I remember where Metallica was. And where, who are the other two bands? We have The Killers and... Imagine Dragons. Imagination Movers, right. Uh, they had that great... I saw the Imagination Movers live in concert in Regina okay. at the uh, Connexus Art Center. Because my girls love... My deepest apologies. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they, they ran around and they slapped high fives with all the kids. It was great. So we have uh, Imagination Dragons, Metallica, <laughs> Foo Fighters, and The Killers who have... I know the one song. Fuck me. <laughs> all right. Let's go... Imagination Dragons 1. Okay. Metallica 2. Okay. Killers 3. Foo Fighters 4. So you've got Imagine Dragons, Metallica, Killers, Foo Fighters. Yep. Did I get any right? The difference between us remains the same. You got two. Two? Out of four. Yep. Okay. So Imagine Dragons 59. Fuck million. right off. Imagination? Yep. Oh, my God. They're, They're terrible. Dreadful. They are dreadful. Fuck um, off. My God. I I weep for humanity. The Killers at 26 million. For that one song? No, they're 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 a pretty big band, man. Are they? I, uh, their first uh, album's actually really quite good. Okay. I'll take your word for it. I've heard Mr. Brightside, and <laughs> that's it. Metallica at 25 million. Oh, man. Third. And Foo Fighters with 20.7 million. Which is way too low for Foo Fighters. Like, yeah, come on. I think so too. Come on. Although their last album, man. Foo Fighters' last album. There's some a good fucking slug. Well, tough record. I mean, he's dealing with the death of his drummer and his mom on yeah. the same album. Like, it's. You kind of have to grade it on a curve a little bit. There's a couple of good tracks on there, but man, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's a tough I listen. That's tough call. I, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. That Greg Kirsten stuff. Like you know, concrete and gold. Yeah, uh, medicine. It's just not the sound. The, the production on it's just like it's not for me. Anyway. Oh, but the uh, uh, the one right before uh, the last of medicine. At, what was it called? Medicine at midnight. Yeah. yeah, decent record. Like they they kind of went back to being a rock band on that one. Yeah, I just didn't like the songs. Waiting on a war it. was okay. Like a... it's okay. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like you said, right? I mean, when you say about a band, it's okay. They should yeah. be great. There should be at least like two, three, four great songs on a Foo Fighters album and really Wasting Light is the last. Well, Sonic Highways I really like, but I yeah. think Wasting Light was the last really, really strong album front to back. Was Run on Concrete and Gold? So I really like yes. that one, but fucking yep. The Skies in Neighborhood, I hate that song. <laughs> God, I, and they play it stomp, every night. Stomp, clap. It's going to use the neighborhood. Like, oh, fuck, yeah. I hate it. Terrible. It's not great. No. Pretty good. Um, but you said like, you know, talk about songs. It was quite a good life. It was, it was pretty okay. good life. Okay. It, it's kind of like the memory remains uh, for the Foo Fighters. Or, okay. Uh, I'm pretty happy I at least got two right. So uh, I've we've the lead is now four again. Yeah. Because uh, for listeners who are just joining us, uh, the loser has to buy the winner a car. A brand <laughs> new car. And, and not a Tesla, we've already established. So I'm looking forward to, to getting my, my new car from Kevin. Because my daughter is going to turn 16 in February. And she needs a car. And we've already established you drive a, a pedo van, uh, so and but you live in a mansion with a moat in Saskatoon, so you can afford a car. Would that be like so? When I buy this car, do I have to car pay? Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> you're you're just as dull as the song. Look at that. <laughs> I am a dad, and I do dad jokes. I do a very good line <laughs> in dad jokes. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. 
<laughs> okay, folks, hey, thanks for listening to us rap, rattle, 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 rattle on. Um, join us again next week when we'll rattle on some more and we'll talk about side C of Reload. Can't remember any songs off that side, Corey. It does not bode well. <laughs> Check us out on social media and come talk to us on social media at Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter and Blue Sky Media. Check out my other shows at the Seaside Pod Review that I do with my friend Randy Woods. I'm a good pal of uh, Corey Morissette's over here and the Tom Petty Project that I do on my own because I don't want anyone bugging me about it. Um, I'm on Twitter at Kevbrand Canada if you want to come talk to me. And Corey, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, they could find me at Kev Brown Canada. Uh, forward all complaints <laughs> to that account. Uh, you can find me also on my Van Halen show and the podcast will rock breaking down the Van Halen catalog. We're almost done. Uh, I tell you, we, we bring up the wheel now and all the, the type faces nice and big. You can see every song. Like it seems so daunting when you have like 12 albums worth of tracks on a wheel. And now that we're down to 15 songs, that's like, you know, that the, <laughs> on a, in the CD era, that's one album. That's one load or reload we have left uh, yep. on our wheel. So getting kind of sad, uh, single tier. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll figure something out. Maybe we'll, I don't know. I'm kind of souring on David Lee Roth because he continues to release videos where he oh. just trashes uh, Sammy and Eddie and Alex and now Wolfgang for no fucking reason at all. It's like, just shut up, you fucking I'm fucking dick. picking on Wolfie. Go fuck yourself, you prick. But seriously. What kind of know? asshole just picks on Wolfgang? I mean, yeah, his dad wanted to play with him. Like, you're a parent. If I could be in a band with my kid, my kid plays the oboe for fuck's sake. If I if we started a, a drum slash oboe band and I could play with my kid and tour the world, I would do that in a heartbeat. So I I totally get it. And Wolfgang's a pretty talented fucking guy. Oh, like listen to those two Mammoth records. They're yeah. both phenomenal. Great, great shit, and much better than anything David Lee Roth has put out in the last thirty fucking years. Yeah. Like he's terrible. Like he can't sing anymore. And he's, he's, oh, this fucking kid, Wolfgang. Shut up. Like, dude, asshole. he was your bandmate. He didn't have a problem when he was making you fucking money. Exactly. Like, come on. It's, it's such bullshit. And uh-huh. you talked about it on the show, right? This is all coming about because Wolfie's getting some spotlight and he's getting this, you know, the signature guitar series. David Lee Roth cannot stand not to be the center of the Van Halen world, right? 100%. I mean, that's, just, that's just real. That's 100%. Fact, right? Yeah. Wolfie got great press when he did the uh, the Taylor Hawkins tribute shows because yep. he did Van Halen tunes with uh, David Grohl and and everybody else and they were phenomenal like he played those parts so yep. perfect his new album was really great he was just on Kimmel uh, he's he's headlining a tour now with Nita Strauss like really killing it mm-hmm. and of course Sammy's going out with uh, Mikey and Joe Satriani and Jason Bonham doing the best of all worlds tour so they're getting press for that they're on the Howard Stern show and no one's talking about David Lee Ross oh I got a fucking yep remind people that I'm here so he's got to talk shit about everybody oh good lord well you know what it's very late here in Saskatchewan it is me and Corey have had a hell of a lot of fun recording tonight but it's probably about time for both of us to go find our respective beds because we don't sleep together contrary to popular opinion you know we're not Burn Ernie I'm holding out hope though maybe someday (laughs) (laughs) but we will see you again next week when we talk about Side C stay safe stay healthy And uh, stay warm, because it's cold in most parts of the world.